You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. This is Shannon Weinstein, and you're listening to the Earn and Invest Podcast. I have been known as a side hustler in the past. Some of them non-medical, like buying and selling artwork or podcasting. Others medical, like being an expert witness or consulting with home health companies. And I have to admit, I liked the cash. But I also have to admit that I never seriously thought that any of them would replace my main income. I side hustled to reach a target net worth to free myself from my workplace. Never. Never did I consider that any of these side hustles would actually become my job, become my own business, or better yet, fully fund my present and future. Shannon Weinstein is a CPA and founder of Financial Solutions, which provides fractional CFO and strategic consulting services to online and service-based business owners looking for a modern goal-centered approach. She's also the host of the Keep What You Earn podcast. Shannon Weinstein, welcome to Earn and Invest. Tell me the truth here. Did you actually become an accountant because you lost a bet with your dad? Did that really happen? It did. It definitely did. I love a good accountant origin story because it's never <laughs> what you wanted to be when you were in second grade. <laughs> <laughs> so what was the bet? So the bet was, now he's a CPA, which is a okay. relevant fact here. Uh, he was bugging me my entire life of, you want to be an accountant when you grow up? And I'm like, no. And honestly, he could have said any profession. I probably would have said no, because no one wants to make their, their parents happy when they're a kid. Like <laughs> whatever you want, this looks boring. There's bookshelves downstairs. I never see you for most of, you know, January to April. This doesn't sound like fun. So I, I always said no. And then, uh, my high school offered an accounting class. And it was one of the things you had to take. It was, they called it practical art and fine art. So you could take typing, which, mm-hmm. is, which dates me. Uh, you could take typing and like Microsoft Access and Excel, and you could take accounting and you can take intro to business. And you could also take graphic design and other things too. And I, um, I had to take one of these classes and my dad said, take accounting. I was like, I don't really want to. He said, listen, if you hate it, I'm never going to bug you again. I'm never going to bug you again and ask you to be an accountant. But if you love it, you have to major in it. And I was a junior in, in high school at the time. And I said, you're on, because for me, that was high stakes because he bugged me so much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I said, oh, you're on. I'll take it. I'm going to hate it. Um, two weeks in, I was bumped to honors accounting with the seniors and I had over a hundred average. It was so easy. 
And my dad sat me down and he was like, Shannon, this is a skill. This is a talent. This is a gift. If you understand this, no one understands this. Most people do not understand this. And I'm like, how? This is so easy. He's like, listen, (laughs) you need to go and do this and teach it. And you need to make this your superpower because this is something that not everyone is gifted in understanding. After researching you, it seems to me the part that really speaks to your soul is actually the teaching part as opposed to the accounting part. Do you think you got into accounting because you were good at it or that this was something you deeply enjoyed? Both, which is a really rare thing to find in a subject like that. Um, I really enjoyed it because I understood it fully very quickly. I understood how it related to a bigger picture and the mechanics of business. I thought it was really interesting. Um, I love to problem solve and do like word puzzles, math puzzles. So for me, accounting was like solving a puzzle. Uh, and it was really fun for me. It kind of tapped into those aspects of my brain that I enjoyed using. And uh, and I also became an accounting tutor in college my freshman year. And I loved teaching as well. So I realized that I could tap into my love for helping others in teaching as well as in a skill that I could actually master. So you're going to college, you're getting your degree in accounting. Did you know from the start that you wanted to be in corporate America? I knew that there was kind of a carved out path. So with accounting, much like medical, I assume, even though I'm not experienced in that field, there's kind of this expectation of the phases. So you get your degree, you pass your CPA, you go work for a big four firm, your staff, then you're a senior, then you're a manager, then you're a senior manager, then you're a partner. Like it's a progression and there's no real ambiguity. There's no real open-endedness about it. It's just kind of, that's what you do if you want to follow the carved out path. So there's already a paved road. And most of us had internships our junior year and had an offer by the time we arrived back on campus for our senior year to work. That was the expectation. So I did the internship. I had an offer from a big four firm. I was just thrilled because I already had the offer my senior year. I was like, I didn't know that wasn't normal (laughs) because I was around my other majors, right? All of us had offers and we were kind of just like chilling senior year uh, and finishing off school. And then I had to go sit for the exam the next summer. So it was, I kind of just did what I thought I was supposed to do in quotes, right? That was what we were supposed to do. So it was never really a conscious decision of, this is what I want to do. I just said, this makes the most sense for me to do and will give me the most ability to decide what I want to do later. That was my biggest focus and what my dad encouraged me to do. He said, do this so that you can pursue what you want later without any sort of uh, restraints. I see so many connections with your path and mine. Your dad was encouraging you. My dad died. So I wanted to be like him and do what he did. Just like in accounting, and as you were describing this, you know, you get into the big four and you become a senior accountant and then a partner, blah, blah, blah. Same exact thing with medicine, right? You go to medical school, then you go to residency, then plus or minus fellowship, and then you join a practice. Maybe then you become a partner in practice. Yep. So this whole idea with the carved out path, it was very difficult for me to then step out of the carved out path or even realize that it wasn't fitting my wants and needs. Tell me about when that happened to you, because clearly, eventually, you took an alternative path. So the real pivotal point was actually my dad died um, when I was at at the firm. It was um, he was diagnosed in '08 when I graduated. So there was an aspect of like wanting to you know pursue this career and and learn from him, you know. And he passed in 2013. I was a 
I think I was deep into manager level, about to be a senior manager um, at the firm at the time. And I, I, I kind of knew I was not completely happy. I knew that I had checked all the boxes at that point. And I was kind of like, okay, yeah, I've, I've followed the carved out path, but like, I don't know if I want to keep going. Um, and actually what's funny is my dad, um, gave me some advice on, on his deathbed actually. And he said, do whatever the hell you want. Hmm. And I was like, what? I go, you have told me every, (laughs) like since I was 16, every step has been dictated by you. And he was not wrong in every piece of advice he gave me. Every time he told me what to do, I was like, glad I did that. So I kept listening. And then I realized he was, he was a good GPS telling me where to go. And finally I got to this, this, you know, corner, this like, you know, this kind of road that veers off and you have to pick a next path. And it was like infinite possibilities, but also paralyzing because I was going, what's the next step? What's the, what am I supposed to do? And there was no more supposed to do left. Cause I realized what I, what I was supposed to do in, in the progression, I didn't want, I didn't want to make partner. I said, I don't want to, you know, suck up to partners, have to sell money for this firm and have to work for fortune 50 companies and do all this. And what really was the the pivotal point for me, the ultimate point was two things happened. One was my dad passed away. I got three days of bereavement and asked to go back on the road the following Monday. Uh. Number two is I got a phone call Friday night after my dad passed on Tuesday, asking me an asinine question about work when I was on bereavement leave. I also had started having panic attacks six months later at the office because I was grieving and there was no sympathy. And I was like, okay, this is not like, it was almost like, um, like when your body rejects something in it, it's like, I had this like physical rejection of my career. I was like, you can't keep doing this. I'm actually, feeling the senses of stress, the grieving and everything. And it's just exacerbated by this job because I'm expected to perform at the level of someone who's not grieving, even though I am. So I realized that I was kind of physically rejecting this job. And I said, I can't do this anymore. I just can't. Like I physically can't do it. Even though I love the company, I love the people. I love the work we did. I said, the expectations are just too much for me. And so I left, pursued a couple of other different careers and kind of tried some different things based on my skill set and what I wanted to do and realized that it was such a huge springboard having that career, having that initial move into that big firm, because I realized that no matter what, my dad was right. I could do whatever I wanted in the sense that I could go work for all these different companies and see what I liked and without really worrying about, you know, can I go do this or can I go do that or will they accept me? You know, that on your resume, having that was a huge thing. So tell me when the transition occurred where your brain said, instead of going to work for other companies, I'm going to stay put in the current company, but then nights, weekends, free time, I'm going to start working on my own project on the side. When did that realization occur and how did you take that step? So in 2019, I I kind of got this itch to do a little bit more. I had um I had this idea of this company called Fit Financial Solutions, which is what my new company is named. Um, in 2015, I got the logo, and that was about it. I was like, I had this little idea, and I was doing fitness part time. I was teaching Zumba classes in the city in Boston, and I was helping. Um, I didn't realize this, but. When you're surrounded by, and I'm sure you can relate as a doctor, when you're surrounded by other people in your profession, you kind of feel like the dumbest person in the room sometimes. And then you step outside of that and you go, oh, I actually do know something that the general public doesn't know. And I actually have 
a skill set that might be worth something. And I realized that when I was teaching Zumba and all my fellow instructors were asking me tax questions and they were asking me questions about their books or their, their income. And I was like, like not, not from a place of judgment, but from a place of genuine curiosity asking them like, do you, you don't know this? And I thought, oh my gosh, there is such, I developed this passion of, oh my God, they don't tell you this. This is like the most basic stuff you need to know as a business owner, as a taxpayer, like, oh my gosh, how, how, how are people not educated in this stuff? Because I didn't realize that this wasn't part of general education. This is part of my education because I've specialized. And then I was like, oh my gosh, this is what I need to go do. So I actually created the company on, on the basis of educating and empowering my fitness instructors by doing um, workshops and to help them with their money and then to take on one-on-one clients and help them with business planning. And then I realized that that was super fun and really rewarding that I said, you know what, I'm going to continue working this job to pay the mortgage because I was making a decent salary, not enough to cut that off and still live in the city and have the lifestyle I wanted. So I said, you know what, I'm going to do this part-time and see where it goes. I'm just going to do this at nights and weekends. It's fun. It's kind of like a hobby for me. And, um, and who knows, maybe it will develop into a full-fledged business. And help me understand, you know, I'm not an expert in accounting, but I, I know that accounting has really two main tracks, right? There's audit and tax. It sounds like a lot of what you were doing in your side hustle, your new business was more tax related. Was your nine to five more audit related? Correct. Yeah. So we had, I mean, we're all, we're all generalists in nearly everything, but then we really specialize, um, I would say your career specializes you more. You're more of a general study person until you decide what you want to specialize in. There's forensic accounting, there's bookkeeping and accounting, there's CFO, there's advisory, tax advisory, tax preparation. There's a whole spectrum of different specialties, much like medicine. It's just that we don't have different names for each other like you guys do. So there's no like podiatrist, dermatologist, internal medicine doctor. It's just accountants. And a very big misconception is that we we all know the same stuff and we don't. So um, a lot of it was getting used to working with small businesses. I actually shifted and pivoted my specialties using the skills I had, learning on the side and really building up this, this book of business that turned into uh, you know, my own practice. Talk to me about your time commitments. I mean, you still had a very real job that was taking up a good part of your day. How did you have the time to build this whole book of business on the side? So I, like I said, I started in 2019. I called it the seven to sevens. So I, or seven to tens, I would, um, so like seven to 10 AM, seven to 10 PM. I'm, I still have these instincts sometimes where I get a second wind at night because I'm used to working on my business at night. Uh, uninterrupted by emails and phone calls and other things. So I would be in my meetings all day for my job. Sometimes I would spend lunch out in my car to attend a, a call because I had business coaches and people who were helping me accelerate, you know, my digital marketing and all of these other, you know, types of resources that I had to educate myself on how to run a small business. Uh, because even though we were educated in accounting, like, do I know how to set up an email list and an opt-in and a lead magnet? No, I was just learning all that stuff in 2019. And, uh, and that was kind of like a crash course in running an online business and building it up digitally. And I said, I think this has potential. I had a lot of people encouraging me. Um, and the time commitment was basically every, pretty much every waking hour I could find now like asterisk, I don't have kids. (laughs) So, or didn't have kids either. 
at the time. And um, every minute I could find where I could be progressing this business, I was trying to, because I said, I'm going to give it all the effort I can, because this is something that's been on my mind for four or five years that I wanted to do. And the only way that I'm going to be able to have the freedom to take care of my husband and to come and go as I please and get things done the way I want to is if I do this for myself and build this up on my own um, enough so I can not have to sit in the cubicle for eight hours a day. Let's talk about your growth strategies because I could see someone in your situation, you're interested in fitness, you're interacting with fitness people, realizing that they actually need help. They need in a sense, a CFO to borrow to come in and help them with taxes and management and organizing. This is a need you could fulfill. A lot of people would have said, okay, I'm going to use my local connections and meet people locally, but you took a more digital strategy. Talk about using Instagram and and, and maybe not using necessarily your local geography, but using social media to grow. I realized, and and this is something that my business coach taught, right? Was she was in, it was a, an online business coaching community and we were learning how to set up digital businesses. I didn't even realize, you know, the difference. And then I, I kind of, it hit me that when you set up a digital business and a digital presence, then your, your business becomes location agnostic and your business can now acquire customers wherever that have the, this problem that you solve. So you're not uniquely serving those who are in your geography. The other reason I did this was because I had moved to Connecticut to be with my husband and we live in a pretty remote, you know, we're, I say we're in the woods. We're in a town with one traffic light. There are not a ton of local <laughs> options of businesses to serve. Um, and it would be really hard to, for me to get, to enroll businesses into my service if I was limited to a geographic range, not to mention I wanted to eliminate commuting. That was part of the, 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 the thing here. So I said, if I could work from home and I could build this, it'd be super cool. And I had started building it on the side, but I, um, I really kicked it into gear though during COVID. And that's how it worked was because when my whole company went remote, now I wasn't buckled to the cubicle eight hours a day. I was at home with two computers on either side of my desk. And I went to all my meetings, got all my work done, but in between every chance I could, I was on the other laptop, but I didn't have to hide. I didn't have to mask it. I didn't have to, you know, um, make excuses as to why I wasn't present because nobody could see me. I got everything done the way it needed to get done. And in fact, the irony is I scored a promotion and a lot of accolades during that time in the core corporate job. And I actually got a promotion and started managing a team of nine people. And it was actually quite funny to me that like when I really stopped kind of caring and I just kind of showed up and did the quote unquote bare minimum and really kind of started expressing myself more honestly because I didn't really feel like I had to impress anybody. That was when I actually elevated in in my position. <laughs> Yeah, JL Collins talks about FU money, right? When you have enough money yeah. that you can pretty much do what you want. But you had, in a sense, an FU side hustle, which meant you felt good enough about what you're doing and you were making enough money doing it that you didn't feel like you had to pander to anyone. Tell me about the crossover moment. So you get to a point where you probably could have continued doing what you're doing, right? You could have probably had your corporate job. You could have probably been making extra money on the side. But at some point, you decided okay, now I can leave my nine to five and just do this self-made business. 
how did that moment occur? How did you realize it? And it's it's a series of moments, right? There's not like you wake up and realize I'm going to quit my job today. It was a, a long-term desire of mine. And that was the goal. That was the finish line The at the end of the tunnel, right? And I said, okay, I I know I need to quit. And I actually hit a point in, uh, now the years are blending, but I think it was the end of 2021 where I sat down with my husband and I said, listen, and, and to back up a second, I had a mentor at the time, a very, very dear mentor of mine uh, that was helping me with increasing my prices and creating a business model that could sustain leaving the job. Like we were on a mission to how to Shannon leave the job, right? And I, I sat down with my husband in December, 2021. And I said, listen, I have a plan. I hadn't shown him this yet, which in retrospect, I'm like, why hadn't I shown him this plan? Um, Because I was so like, I was so nervous about it not working that I said, I'm going to wait until I'm like dead set. I can absolutely leave. And I'm going to go talk to Jason about this. But I sat down with him and I said, look, tax season's coming up. I still have a lot of tax clients. I said, I can't do another tax season plus. I can't. I'm burning out as it is. I'm not showing up as the wife that you deserve right now. Like the whole reason for this was to liberate me and to make me a better wife to you who's more available, who's not, you know, at the office, you know, 40 hours a week and commuting. I wanted to be around. I wanted to be able to help you. And I'm still not able to do that. It's like, what's it for? I kind of had this moment of like, what's it all for if I can't do that? And I said, I have to make a decision. I either have to shut down financial. And go and find another job because this one's miserable to me. I knew I knew that was not going to be the thing. I said, or I need you to trust me because I did this cash flow forecast. And if I quit the job now, I know we wanted to wait six months until June. You wanted to wait and see how things panned out the first half of the year. But if you let me go now and I can dedicate all of my time, I actually put together a forecast of if I make this much per month, I got this. And I can replace my salary and I can replace the cash flow needs that we have along with supplementing it from you. If you don't mind a little bit of patience. And we actually set a, a deadline. I said, if in six months, I can't prove to you that this is self-sustaining, I will go get another job. So I had, I said, there's no risk. Give me six months to prove it. Um, and he was like, okay, when's your last day? And that was it. I booked, I, I, I cried <laughs> and I put in my notice for the end of January. I gave them a month notice, which was a very, it just said, I'm going to be, I want this to be as amicable and like no drama as possible. I'm going to give them a month notice right now. I can do one more month and then we're going to do tax season. I'm going to hit the ground running. And that's exactly what happened. How did people respond uh, to you leaving your job? Were they prepared for it? Did they have any idea? Did they know that you had your own business? My coworkers. That was one of the funniest things. Um, they had no idea. Even the people I had just hired in my team, I had hired four new team members in the course of five months um, and trained them. And I said, let this be a lesson to Google your, your next boss. Because none of you bothered to Google me. None of you looked up my, like my LinkedIn was pretty secure. I didn't, I didn't post on LinkedIn very much about my business. I was on Instagram, which was not really, it's not really a place like other accountants hang out. So it was pretty safe, but I had already accumulated, uh, you know, I think a hundred podcast episodes or something at that point, something close to that. And it was really funny because I had the podcast, I had all, the, all this other stuff. I was starting to like build up more, you know, presence online. And um, they all asked me, so what are you going to do? You know, what are you going to do? And I, I kind of smirked and I said, I have my own business. And they said, you do? It's like, Yeah. 
I said, and I have a top 200 podcast (laughs) (laughs) and they were flabbergasted. And then they all went to go Google me and they were like, holy wow. And they, they hadn't looked it up yet. But once I, once I kind of like, I felt so liberated when I could just start talking about it, posting on LinkedIn that like, Hey, I do this. Uh, and I've been doing it for three years. (laughs) Surprise. Um, they were very supportive at the end of the day, they're all human and they're all, if anything, I got a lot of inquiries after I left about people saying, Hey, how did you do that? Because you did it, but it was, it was very respectful. It was a transition. Like I never would have known you weren't fully dedicated to this role because you still delivered every day. And that was a, that was a big thing for me was not feeling like I was failing. And that was really hard. I think that's what burned me out is trying to be a hundred percent at both. We are talking to Shannon Weinstein. She's a CPA and founder of Fit National Solutions. And we are discussing that crossover moment when your side hustle becomes your main hustle. We're going to take a short break. I'm Doc G, and this is the Earn and Invest podcast. This episode is brought to you by Range Rover Sport. Range Rover Sport leads by example. With a visceral, uncompromising, and dramatic feel, this car helps you rise to the occasion. How does it do that? Range Rover Sport has powerful on-road performance and commanding all-terrain capability by combining assertiveness with signature Range Rover refinement. This is the car that redefines sporting luxury. The new Range Rover Sport features advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification, purposeful cockpit-like driving position, and award-winning PIVI Pro infotainment is at the heart of the experience and provides intuitive control of the vehicle systems. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. Once again, explore and build your Range Rover Sport at L-A-N-D-R-O-V-E-R. USA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. All right. So most of us know the bad news already. If you were using Mint as a budgeting app, it has shut down. But the good news is there's something better and it's called Monarch Money. I started using Monarch Money myself about five months ago and I knew immediately that I liked it more than any other budgeting app I had ever used. For one, it focuses on collaboration. This is easy to share with your spouse, your partner, your financial advisor, and it's aspirational. Not only can you look at your current budget, but what do you want to buy? What do you want your goals to be? You can focus on those in Monarch Money. It's the next generation of personal finance apps. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Furthermore, you can create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash earn. Again, that's monarchmoney.com slash E-A-R-N. What I like about this app is it's intuitive, easy to use, quick to sign on. It's collaborative, as we talked about. It's customizable. The idea is you can use this app the way you want to use it. And the reason why is the Monarch Money team is customer-focused. They are focusing on you, me, and all the other people who want to use this app to live a better financial life. 
After trying out Monarch Money for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash earn. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash E-A-R-N for your extended 30-day free trial. We are talking to Shannon Weinstein. She is the host of the Keep What You Earn podcast, and we're talking about how her side hustle became her main hustle. We are just discussing that moment when you left your nine-to-five job, when you started doing financial 100% of the time. I want to talk about how that changed your life, but let's first talk about how that changed your finances. Did the momentum of the business change when you could devote all your time to it? Uh, it did. It totally did. It basically amplified what I could possibly do. It amplified how much I could work. It amplified how much I could I could basically share with my clients what I could do for them. And also the biggest thing was opening up my calendar and no, no longer really letting other people's priorities, other people's meetings consume my calendar. So my most important thing I did was I cleared out the calendar and said, when is my energy at its peak? When is it at its lull? When do I want to have meetings? When do I not want to have meetings? So I'm showing up the best because there's this idea of like work-life balance where it's kind of the work hard, play hard type of mindset where it's like one or the other. And I just said, well, what if like I only take three meetings a day throughout the day? No more than that because that will burn me out. I kind of set these little rules of like no more than three meetings because otherwise I get tired. Um, I have to fit in time for movement and I have to... I have to do X, Y, and Z. I just said, these are kind of like my little rules I'm going to build around my calendar to just to protect my energy. That was the biggest thing was it was worth, it was worth a reduction in income because it, I mean, it's very hard to replace like a higher level executive salary. Um, but I, I would trade it any day of the week to have that type of time freedom and scheduling freedom that it gave me to actually just say, I don't have to ask permission to do anything, take a day off. I don't have to ask anyone's permission to go run to the store real quick. I don't have to tell anyone where I am. Uh, it was wonderful. <laughs> so that was the biggest thing. What about fear and self-doubt? Because it's one thing to have your side business and know you can always fall back on your nine to five. Mm -hmm. But when you actually make that transition, there has to be a moment where you're like, oh my God, like now if it all falls apart, I'm kind of in trouble. Yeah. Um, there, there was a little bit of that fear, but I think that my dad's advice rang, rang in my head all the time that I have a unique set of skills that serve as a toolkit that I can use and pull out when I need to. That even if I took this risk, like I told my husband, if I can't do it, I'll get another job and I'll figure it out. Like if my worst case scenario, um, one of my business coaches, Jess Glazer, she has this great story about how she was listening to a podcast when she decided to quit her job. And the podcast was essentially like, it was about a woman who wanted to make jewelry. And the host was asking her, well, like, what's the worst case scenario if you were to quit your teaching job to go make jewelry? And she's like, well, the worst case scenario is I'd have to go get another teaching job, probably in another district. And I would uh, not be able to make jewelry. And he's like, well, how does it feel to live in your worst case scenario? And I, and like, she said that, told me that story. And that one hit me too in the nerve. And I was like, I'm living in the worst case scenario. I'm sitting in the worst thing that could happen, which is I come back to a job. And that's when it kind of hit me. And I said, I can afford to take risks. And especially after my dad passed away, 
And then my husband's dad got sick and you start seeing these things kind of show up as you get later in life. You're like, well, wait a minute. And I know this is something you, we we talked about a, a bit too, when we were chatting last was like the lessons you learn from those who are coming to the end of their life. And you go, I got no time to waste playing it safe. This is my worst case scenario of how to spend my time, which is my most precious resource. There's nothing wrong with going for it. And then if it doesn't work, doing something else and just pivoting again. So we talked a little bit about how this move changed your business life. Let's talk about how running your own business and doing it virtually has changed the rest of your life. First, let's start with your husband. We haven't talked about it yet, but he has some unique healthcare needs. How has this changed your life being able to control more of your time? So he has, so he has chronic back pain. He has a former hockey goalie. He's had several surgeries and that's a big part of why I wanted to make sure I was available to be able to help him. You never know what type of day he's going to have, if he needs some help or not, but he's, he's powering through. And it's been a huge game changer for me to be available and be more flexible to adapt to what he needs to do. He's also an entrepreneur. He's a business owner since he was 22. And it was really important that he has that flexible schedule where he is, he might be home one day or he might be at the office and he can run errands and do all these things. And I used to tell him how jealous I was <laughs> that he could just come and go as he pleases. And he's like, they don't have you shackled to that chair. And I'm like, they might as well. They're mentally shackling me to the chair because if I get up and move around, who knows what email I'm going to miss or what phone call I'm going to miss. And you know, it was just this cloud of judgment if you were to get up and go and move about, which now seems so silly. Uh, but at the same time, that was that was kind of the pressure you were under. And and it completely opened. It, I turned into a different person. I was showing up differently. I had more energy. And I was able to do what I really enjoyed doing, serving clients, not just serving clients that were handed to me by somebody else. And that was a really big part of it. And it really did open up not only our calendars, but like our ability to travel and our ability to, you know, take the breaks that we wanted to together, you know, go out to lunch together just because. Tell me more about location freedom, right? That was something that I think was really important to you. How did that yeah. play out once you found that you could maybe steer your own ship a little bit more? Yeah. So uh, an important kind of fact in this in this story is that uh, Jason and I spent half our year in Costa Rica. And we did that. I even was in Costa Rica dating back to um, the uh, when I was working in the corporate job. So I was actually working remotely at the time during COVID. We bought the house in Costa Rica. And I worked there remotely, tested this out a little bit, knew I was on my way out though. And I said, well, if they don't like it, you know, <laughs> I just kind of said, I'm working in Costa Rica now to deal with it. Um, <laughs> it was like, that was it the FU job, <laughs> like deal with it. You don't want me around. That's fine. Um, and, and I worked remotely there and during this whole transition, uh, we were still going back and forth. But when I finally, that was actually one of the biggest reasons why when I quit, um, my last day was the Friday before our next trip down. Mm. So I said, my goal is to, I actually told my husband when we, when I quit, I said, he was like, when's your last day? And I said, I remember this. I said, January 28th, because our flight is on Monday and I don't want to go with a work laptop. That was, that was the thing. So, um, but it has afforded us the location freedom. So now we're actually talking about, okay, if we go down to Costa Rica, hey, we should go visit Colombia. Let's put that on the calendar. We should go visit Panama. We should visit Nicaragua. And now we are kind of, all this become way more possible. And it doesn't feel like vacations. Like I I actually haven't taken what I would consider a vacation in three years, but I would have it no other way because 
my philosophy has changed into a vacation is kind of an escape. And I said, I've just developed a life I don't want to escape from. Does that also mean that you're working when you travel, right? That you are following up with clients, et cetera, but that's become integrated into your normal daily processes, whether you're out of town or in town. Yeah. And it's, it's not a problem for me to answer a few emails in the morning, like go to the gym, grab my phone, answer a few emails, get a few pieces of client work done, go out to lunch, go for a walk, go to the beach, go to the pool, do a little bit more work here and there. Like it, it's really not a problem for me. It, it's not a whole thing of like a day of zero work or a day of full work. It's not all or nothing. It's a little bit here and there just to make sure everything's getting done on time. Even if it's just managing my team, making sure I'm available. Some would judge me and say I'm too available to clients and to people. And I say, look, I just love what I do. And I don't mind having a couple of times during the day that I check in just to make sure that I'm not overwhelming myself with things to do and stressing myself out when I sit down for a longer session of work and just save some of those, some of those longer tasks for later and knock out a few small things here and there. So it's it's working for me and I'm kind of finding the rhythm that works best. So clearly your work rhythm is much different than when you were in corporate America. Yeah. Compare the hours. Like, are you working less hours? Or are you just working differently? How does it look yeah. compared to it used to? I think it's pretty similar, but what's so funny is it doesn't feel like work. So it's hard to measure. So for example, I would always, I would say I worked 40 to 50 hours a week on average, 50 hours or more during certain seasons of the year. Uh, And I would say now it's really hard for me to, it's really hard for me to measure how many hours I'm working because I feel like I'm always working and yet never working. So I'm always, you know, I'm recording podcasts. That's fun for me. That would be considered work when you think about the reason why you're doing it. Or if I was in a job and that was an expectation, right? I would count that towards work hours. But for me, this is fun. It still feels like a hobby. So it's hard to really measure, but I would say the hours are probably similar. But if you ask me how many hours am I sitting behind a computer answering emails and doing tactical work, I'd say 30 hours a week is pretty average. And I think I wouldn't have it any other way. I think it's a really good balance. Looking back, knowing what you know now, should you have left corporate America earlier? Or d- did you need that time there to establish yourself? I I would say no, only because I needed I needed to grind and hustle because I appreciate what I have now so much more, knowing what one more tax season would have done to me knowing that I was hitting that breaking point, I think I I savor the taste of what I have now because of the pains I felt when I was on the verge of of saying I have to make a decision. I think I had to reach that that sort of intersection in the road where I had to make a decision because if I had done it earlier, it would have felt like more of a risk. It would have been more stressful. I think that I had to get to that point. So normally at this point of the interview, I'd ask you something like, what is your end game or goal? But let me structure the question a little differently. If lo and behold, unbeknownst to you, you had a relative that you never knew before who died and left you $20 million, how would your life change? Mm. Oh, that's hard to say. I would probably say it would open up a lot more choices. It really would in terms of how I spend my day, my time. Um, it would probably enable me to, I would actually still, this is going to sound crazy, but I probably would keep my business open 
and hire really good help to run it so that I could basically focus on education. I would still do my podcast. I would still do financial education. It would just be really exciting to be able to do it without any pressure of income. So I could really put out good content without wondering how I'm going to monetize it. I could spend my time doing what I enjoy without worrying about how much it's going to cost. And I think that would be a huge part of it. So there are many people listening right now, either for themselves or their children or someone they know is trapped in corporate America. And they like the income, but realize that maybe it's another tax season coming up or maybe it's something else that's going to happen in the future. And they're like, I can't do this forever. I think starting a side hustle or side business is a great way to start moving out of that job, that life you don't like, but people get stuck on how to start. So if someone is listening right now and they're listening to your story and saying, I would like to do what Shannon did, what's like that first step? I would say find someone who's done it that's as close to your use case as possible and follow the path they've carved. Because they've walked an unpaved path, but they left footprints. Follow those because it will save you so much time learning from the mistakes of others and accelerate your ability to reach that goal faster than if you try to go it alone and figure it out by yourself. Because most of us, we have great tools, but we don't know how to use them and in the direction that we want to go in. And find that person. Like my dad was a great GPS up until that intersection, right? And then it was do whatever you want, go wherever you want, travel wherever you want. And I just had to find a new GPS to follow. And I've had mentors and coaches every step of the way. Without that, I would still be yearning to leave my corporate job. No question. I think I I cut in half the time it would have taken me uh, and done it so much faster and with more, more uh, motivation, more drive than I ever would have without those people. Any big common mistakes that you want to warn people against? Because I know when... People are setting off with these big audacious goals. Uh, sometimes there's just these obvious things that they do wrong, but can't mm-hmm. see it until they've gone through it. I would say that a very common thing is to discount yourself literally and figuratively by saying, I've never done this before. I've never done this on my own before. Who am I to charge X dollars to do this? And they undercut their pricing. Um, people will start off charge way undercharging for their services because they really don't know what they're worth because they're starting with a very low level of confidence. My my advice, my mistake and advice kind of concurrently is put in as many reps as you can, whether it's free or low cost as fast as possible, because that will buy you confidence and that will help you raise your prices faster. Because I'm not saying come out the gate and charge 10 grand a month or whatever, because it's really hard to you know feel that pressure. But I would say if you're doing something similar to me, start small, build, 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 but put in as many reps as you can as fast as possible so you can elevate your confidence, elevate your offer, elevate your pricing so that you can figure out the model that works for you and then be able to make those sort of financial decisions on how you want to spend your time and possibly quit your job. Is there anything about corporate America or being an employee that you miss? Um, I miss the camaraderie with coworkers. Uh, going off on your own is quite lonely because there's no boss you can check in with and make sure you're doing your job right. There's no like report card feedback that like you're doing a good job. It's a very emotional roller coaster with no feedback other than really your bank account <laughs> saying you're doing well or you're not, right? So the metrics to measure yourself on are much more ambiguous. 
you don't have kind of a straight expectation anymore of, of what you're supposed to do. It's very much up to you, which is a blessing and a curse sometimes for people like us who are very analytic, analytical and maybe want that guidance. I'm like, I want to know what good looks like, right? You want to know what what am I striving for? I want to scorecard myself. Uh, so it's it's much more open-ended than that. But I think that's it, it's worth it when you can learn how to self-discipline yourself and to know what direction you want to go in and march forward there. Well, Shannon Weinstein, I want to thank you for coming on Earn and Invest today. As I reflect on our conversation, it all comes down to the simple fact that no one wants to live a life you feel like you have to escape from. And unfortunately, many people are in the midst of the grind of either corporate America or at least working for someone else. Look forward and say, this is not the life I want to live forever. And yet they get stuck and don't take action. And what I love about your story is you came to this place and said, well, what kind of action can I take to build that life I want to live, to build that life I love, to build that life that even if I inherited $20 million, I would keep living? And the answer you had is an answer that I think more of us should pursue, which is start trying to build that business on the side while we still have the protection of our nine to five and see if we can make a go at it and build it into something that we might love or at least like a lot more than corporate America. I think it's a great way for people to pursue other opportunities and to grow and to have more control over their life and their time. I want to end this episode the way and every episode by asking you what's up next in your life and where people can find you. So let's talk about your business. What's coming up in the next six months? So I would say I'm shifting my focus as I grow my team. I'm shifting my focus more into keynote speaking, education, and being able to do what I love to do, which is teach. And trying to infuse more teaching more often into my daily monthly life. And I'm also trying to volunteer more often for uh, Junior Achievement, which is a big entrepreneurial education company designed to go into uh, middle and elementary schools and teach entrepreneurship concepts to kids. And I'm really excited to be part of that mission and volunteer with them frequently, but I'm hoping to do more of it in the coming months. And Shannon, if people want to interact with you, learn more about financial solutions or hear more about the Keep What You Earn podcast, what's the best way to get in touch with you? So Keep What You Earn is on all podcast platforms. Wherever you're listening to Earn and Invest, you can find Keep What You Earn and uh, it should be easy to find. That is where you can find daily episodes from me and pretty much all of my content. And if you'd like to explore more about our CFO services at Financial, it's at financialsolutions.com. Shannon Weinstein, thank you for coming on Earn and Invest. Thank you. That's a wrap. Earn and Invest is now part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to this show as well as other fine podcasts. Hustle culture. We hear it over and over again. If we just hustle, if we just work harder, if we just do a side hustle on top of our nine to five, we will be successful. We will become super entrepreneurs. We will make hundreds of thousands, nay, millions. It is how we become successful. On the other hand, many of us who've tried side hustles, many of us who've tried having a full-time job and then hustling on the side get burned out and exhausted, and we're not nearly as successful as everyone tells us 
we should be. Look, there is only a small percentage of the population who hits it big doing a side hustle. There really is only a small percentage of people who truly have passive income. We are stuck in the middle of hustle culture, and I feel divided about it because I do like this idea of hustling. I like this idea of building our own businesses. I like this idea of having a nine-to-five as well as building something on your own. On the other hand, I don't like the frantic, anxiety-provoking busyness that comes with this idea of hustle culture and everyone feeling like they've got to have three million things going on at once. So I'm sure you're wondering, why did I then do this episode with Shannon Weinstein Why would I want to talk to her about building a life, a professional life, based on her side hustle? Well, part of the reason is because I think she really did it right, and I think the way Shannon did it almost is an antidote to typical hustle culture. She wasn't out there on the nights and weekends to make a million dollars. She was doing something she genuinely liked speaking to a community, the fitness community that needed her help. She was using some of the training she had gotten when she had learned how to be an accountant to do meaningful, important things. When she started doing this, I don't think she thought it was going to take over her job. She just was doing something on the side that she thought would be fun and she thought she could make some money. But over time, it grew because it was something she was passionate about, something she was good at. And that way, it eventually became not just her side hustle, but her main hustle. I don't believe what she did was pressured or anxiety-provoking. I don't think she did it in order to make a million dollars. I think she just did it because it spoke to her. So I am all for side hustles. I'm all for going that extra step, becoming an entrepreneur, I'm all for this idea of growing out of your nine to five, but I think we have to learn how to do it in really healthy ways. We have to do it in ways that allow us to live and enjoy ourselves as opposed to spending every moment working. So I think it's really healthy that there is a backlash against hustle culture. I think it's cool that in the financial independence world, We're moving away from this idea of grinding it out all the time. I tried grinding it out. In fact, I did it for years and years. And what that mostly led to was burnout and unhappiness. Now, granted, I was lucky enough that by grinding, I had created enough wealth, enough money, enough net worth that my investments could then support me. But I often think back about how much better life would have been if Instead, I found a career, I found my own hustle, which I enjoyed, which wasn't anxiety-provoking, which didn't feel like grinding it out. And I think that's the goal for all of us. Like, I think it's great to be young and hungry, and I remember what it felt like to be in that place, but let's consume that hunger with something healthy. Let's stay away from the unhealthy, from... Coca-Cola lifestyle, and let's move to something much more natural, something that feels good while we're doing it, as well as something that creates an outcome which is also beneficial. I think what we forgot somewhere along the way is that we can feel good and do good at the same time. 
Awesome. I leave things running just as we chat afterwards as the after show. Any, anything we didn't talk about kind of in your trajectory, in your story that you wish we had? Um, the only thing I wish I had said, which we don't have to re-record or anything, is that I didn't have a conflict of interest when I was building my business because I was building my business doing something different than what my daily job was. So I was in compliance at a aerospace manufacturer doing something totally different than accounting, which is why I could pull that off. Um, and then the other, what else was I going to say? The, um, oh, it, it just came to me. Um, oh, and then the other thing was the importance of like when you're building when you're building a business on the side, it's really helpful when you have that income that pays the mortgage that's distinct from your business because you will be more selective about clients you take, work you say yes to, people you say yes to when you don't have to say yes to them for money. So when the money isn't talking or the money isn't louder than your gut telling you this is not a good idea. So if someone's coming to you and saying, I'll pay you 10 grand to do X, Y, and Z, but you don't offer that. You can easily say no because you're like, I don't need the money. I I need this business to build in a sustainable way. And that's a distraction. But you think so much more clearly when you have income coming in that is paying the mortgage for you. So you can just focus on building the business that you want and not the thing that you need to generate cash flow. Yeah. The, the the conflict of interest, I was slightly trying to get at that when I asked okay. you about how accountants do auditing and tax, because I, yeah, I yeah, thought yeah. you were going to say something like, well, in my day job, I was doing more audit. Yeah, I don't want to reveal. Like I don't reveal too much about what I was doing. Yeah. And that's why I also didn't mention the name of who you worked for. Those yeah, yeah. Or the companies or anything. I was like, sensitive. I was in supply chain compliance. It gets really yeah. annoying when I'm like supply chain compliance at an aerospace manufacturer. It's like, what the hell is that? Um, but yeah, I worked a different job. But it's a... People know it's if there's conflict of interest, you have to be careful about that. But yeah. if it's not, that's also why I did tax because I said there's no yeah, way because it has nothing to do with what you has doing zero to do with anything I've ever done in my career. So can't tick off anybody if I start with tax. But I go into I went into CFO as I quit the job because I said uh, I've got nothing to hide anymore. I can go full into the thing I want to do. Yeah. And tell me about so again, you speak the words of a digital marketer. So tell me about funnels. What have you found to be <laughs> your best funnel? Has has it been the podcast? Has it been Instagram? Like what the brings you the most people? So that's that's conditionalized on the um funnel for what? So my best funnel for CFO services is the podcast and a podcast appearances on other people's shows. Um developing a sense of expertise and people getting to know me through this medium has been the greatest way to earn a lot of trust really quickly yeah. so that they can explore my services at a higher level. Cause they're like, Oh, I like this person. Like you kind of get a feel for that person really quickly in a short period of time. The, um, I'd say a, a surface level, the funnel that's actually generated the most volume is I have a, a lead magnet that is a tax deduction guide for entrepreneurs. I just give away this mini course. That's like a series of PDFs and a couple of videos for me, how to deduct operating expenses, home office, travel, for an early stage business owner. Um, and that has just, people are just like grabbing that like crazy. Um, Cause it's just one of the things that nobody's willing to just tell you, like teach you and provide for free. I said, we're going to provide the whole thing for free. People are charging for stuff like that. I go, I'm just going to send it out for free and people are going to grab it. And then we'll funnel them into other, you know, other offers, whether it be a session with me or CFO services. 
It feels really good to be productive, but a lot of the time it's easier said than done, especially when you need to make time to learn about productivity so you can actually, you know, be productive. But you can start your morning off right and be ready to get stuff done in just a few minutes with the Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day podcast. New episodes drop every weekday, so listen and subscribe to Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. That's Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. You care about your money. Of course you do. So why aren't you listening to SoFi Daily? This podcast will keep you updated on the latest news in the stock market and how it could impact your financial life. Stay on top of what's happening. Listen to SoFi Daily wherever you get your podcasts. That's SoFi Daily wherever you get your podcasts.